you can turn to Hebrews 12 and also 1 Samuel 17. I'm going to be reading from tonight, just those two. But if you don't have them, it's okay. I do have them on the screen. Don't feel bad. (laughs) I nearly didn't do a PowerPoint, but anyway. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And if you were here last week or you heard Ben's message, you'll know that he um, used this scripture as well. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us through it every single day. It gives us hope and courage, direction, encouragement. And I just pray, Lord, that you speak to us through your word tonight. And I pray that you bless us, bless our fellowship. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have shared... Uh, over the past few times that, um, you know, for me, the last 12 months have been um, particularly rough and uh, some of that has been self-inflicted, but it's been a really, really difficult time. I feel like uh, I've been bullied. I feel like I've been punched and pushed and, you know, kicked and held down, you know, in certain circumstances and certain situations and uh, it, it has been really difficult And I know that I'm not alone in that. I know that there are many people in our church who are going through tough times. Not to mention, you know, someone like Emily who, um, you know, has cancer and is, you know, going to be going through treatment again. And, you know, just the the feeling of unfairness, you know, around that. But, you know, not even that. All of us, I'm sure, have gone through different circumstances, different trials and tribulations over the past 12 months. And what, what's funny, but not funny, what's funny is that for a lot of people that I've spoken to, it seems to have coincided with our lovely little six weeks of prayer and fasting that we did last year, where it feels like over that six weeks, the lid was just torn off of a whole range of different situations. And I feel like that even though... <laughs> We don't feel like God is answering prayers, that God is answering prayers, that God is working in us and through us and in our community to answer some of the prayers that we prayed about 12 months ago. Now, I know what I prayed for 12 months ago hasn't happened, but I also know now that in hindsight that the reason it hasn't happened is because what I was praying for was actually not important. What I was praying for was something that I felt I needed and wanted to make things better in my life, but God knows what I really need, and he knows what we all really need, 
And I feel like, you know, for many of us, it's easy to be disheartened in these times to feel like the world is against us. And I want to be honest with you and say the world is against us. And Jesus himself tells us in the Bible that if you follow Jesus, the world will persecute you. The world will come after you. Things are not going to be easy for us if we are followers of Jesus. And in fact, even for people who aren't followers of Jesus, the world is not easy either. But the Bible promises us, which is tough, that life will be hard. Not that life will always be easy. You know, I I remember seeing this viral video. It's probably one of the first kind of viral videos for you older people. You know, viral videos like a video that everyone looks at and it gets passed around on Facebook and stuff like that. If you don't know what Facebook is, please (laughs) speak to one of these people at the front later. But I remember seeing this viral video and it it was, to be honest, quite shocking at the time. And it was probably the start of the awareness of bullying in schools to this kind of level. And I don't know if you saw it, but basically the situation was there was this, there was this kid who was getting picked on and he was a bit taller, he was kind of chubby kid and he was getting pushed up against the wall by a kid who was half of his size. Like literally half of his size, if not smaller, skinny, scrawny, probably couldn't physically hurt him in any way whatsoever. But this kid, who was half the size of the other kid, was intimidating this kid and poking him and pushing him in the chest and pretending to hit him to see if this other kid would flinch. And the kid, the bigger kid, who was getting bullied, what you see in the video is a moment of bravery or courage or stupidity, whichever way you want to look at it, he picks the little kid up and lifts him above his head and throws him on the ground. Now, I'm not condoning violence. That's not the right way to deal with things. But what I love about the illustration of that kid is that 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 kid who was getting bullied didn't just get bullied that day. That didn't happen just that day for that kid to, to react in that way. That, to me, says that that kid who was getting bullied at school was getting bullied over a prolonged period of time. He was getting pushed and nudged and called names and excluded and made fun of and you know a whole range of different things. And that little kid was so confident was so confident and being egged on by people around him was so confident to go up to someone, double his size and double his strength and poke him in the chest and make fun of him. And in a moment, that bigger kid made a decision to stand up for himself and to fight back. And he picked him up and he threw him on the ground and he walked away from him. And the kid got hurt. And I'm positive that that kid probably didn't pick on that other guy anymore. There might have been others, but I'm pretty sure 
that kid who got thrown on the ground, who I will say got up and was okay, so, you know, it wasn't dreadful, but I'm pretty sure that that kid thought twice about even crossing paths with that other kid, no matter what he thought of him. And when I was praying about this message, I felt like this was a word of encouragement for our church. For me personally, yes, but in this circumstance, I actually felt like it was bigger than just me. I felt like this was a message for our church and our community. And that message is, it's time to fight back. It's time to fight back for us. It's time for us to fight back. And I spoke a couple of weeks ago about, um, you know, about how we fight and, you know, how we guard our hearts and how that word guard actually, you know, specifically means to kind of put on show everything that you've got available to you and, you know, how that's really important if you, if you want to hear it. Obviously, it's in the podcast, but it's our time to fight. Well, I feel like over the past 12 months, you know, specifically for me again, but for our church, since we started this time of prayer and fasting, we've gone through this journey and lots and lots of things have happened and it has felt like we have been bullied and had someone poking their finger in our chest, telling us that we shouldn't be, you know, growing in life. Or, and I mean this individually. As a church, obviously, that is true, but for individuals in our church who have been through difficult circumstances, it feels like God wants us to know that it's time to fight back. It's time to take back ground and it's time to stand up for ourselves. You know, Ashok shared an amazing message this morning about God giving us enlightened vision. And I encourage you to listen to it on the podcast if you, if you weren't here this morning. But he talked about how we, God wants us to see the things that we don't see with our eyes and how as humans our eyes in the, in the natural world are actually pretty poor. A lot of us, a lot of people here wearing glasses, you know, but there are animals who, you know, and insects who can see 360 degrees. There, there are animals that can see ultraviolet lights, you know, there are, it, it's just incredible. But our eyes, our natural eyes are actually not that great at seeing. They see what we need them to see. But his message was that God wants us to see things that we do not see, that we are enlightened. And he shared about David and Goliath and the, the interesting interaction between David and Saul before that and how Saul, who was the king at the time, saw a problem. Saul, king of the army, the Israelites, for 40 days and for 40 nights, the giant Goliath taunted the Israelites and they did nothing and Saul was petrified. And in comes David, little David, youngest brother, should have been looking after sheep, just went to go and give his brothers some bread and cheese, I think, or whatever it was. And as little brothers do, I'm sure, have a bit of a nosy around what was going on. And he sees the giant taunting the Israelite army and he takes it upon himself to go and speak to Saul. And I want to pick this up in 1 Samuel 17, 43 to 47. This is after David is already out in the battlefield. It says he, so, um, Goliath, I do have it here on the screen actually. <laughs> 
He, Goliath, looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Now, I understand from a size perspective, this is a bit of a, you know, it's the exact opposite of the other situation. But the point is, we have an enemy. And that enemy wants to intimidate us and tell us that we are nothing more than boys or girls or you know, whatever the case may be, you're nothing more than a sinner, nothing more than a bad person. And David says to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he, he will give all of you into our hands. Those are fighting words. That is a declaration of a boy who knew who God was in his life and refused to let any giant standing before him tell him that he was not going to be successful. He refused to accept the fact that a foreigner, a whatever the case may be, an, a, uh, a person in opposition, he refused to accept the curse that that person had given by their gods because he knew that his God, our God, was bigger than all gods, bigger than anything else in the entire world. And he made a declaration knowing that God was for him. He was ready to fight. And if you read back in that story, Saul tries to put his armour on him and he tries to talk him out of it and you know a whole bunch of different things. But David... The, the lowest of the low in their society, the youngest brother of, I think, 12, 9, something like that, was supposed to be looking after sheep, which was the worst job you could have, left looking after sheep, going to an army between two nations. And I think sometimes we forget that as well. This is a battle between two nations, not just two groups of people, this is the Israelites versus the Philistines. The Philistines have a nine-foot giant called Goliath who taunted them for 40 days and 40 nights. And David walks out to him and says, in the name of Jesus, in the name of God, who are you to tell me that you are going to win this fight? Because I fight under the name of Jesus, and he has already won this fight for us. This fight is over, and I will cut off your head and show it to your army just so that they know too that God is God. You know, 
the, the last 12 months for me, I have mentioned this a lot, but, you know, this is like therapy being up here. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper. <laughs> the, the last 12 months have been a journey for me of discovery, personal discovery. 12 months ago, I was praying that something would change in my job. I, I, I was praying that something would change in my work circumstances because that's, that's what was giving me trouble at the time. And I prayed. I was here for most of the morning ones. And I remember about halfway through that, that six weeks, at about week three, I ran out of steam. And not much had changed. And I'm not sure what I was expecting. Well, I know what I was expecting. I was expecting God to just snap his fingers and change everything right there and then. But the bottom line is, that the reason I was having issues at work was not because of external factors. The reason I was having troubles at work was because of things that were happening in here, in my heart and in my head. And I know, for a fact, that God can snap his fingers and change our circumstances I know that he could have taken me out of that work situation and put me into another work situation. And I tried to snap my fingers and take myself out of that work situation and put myself into another work situation, which didn't work. And I got to the point where I had to have an honest, hard look at myself and say, I am so sick of going around this bend, going around this mountain. I'm so over dealing with the same issue that presents in different circumstances every couple of years. There must be a common denominator in all of these issues. And when I, when I pointed out everybody else involved, they all led back to me. And I was the common denominator in all of the issues that had happened in the past and that were happening then. And so I knew, I shared, you know, I knew I had to do something about it. I wanted to go and speak to someone. It was causing me, you know, really deep mental issues. Um, you know, re really, really difficult. Really difficult. And so I went to speak to someone and so I start talking to them about my work and, you know, about all those issues. And you guys will probably know the story. You know, I grew up without a dad. And anyway, I've, you know, I've been on this journey with um, this person. And I've, I've seen them probably, I think, 13 or 14 times. And I plan to continue to do that because it's been amazing. What started as an issue at work where I didn't feel like I was getting the right kind of validation or the right value out of what I was doing, where I felt like I was wasting my time and I felt like, you know, the people around me weren't seeing the value in me and that I was wasting my time and then I started doubting myself and wondering whether or not, you know, am I crazy, you know, are they crazy, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, I spent so much time trying to be who I thought I should be in that job and in every other job before that and in relationships and every other relationship regardless to back, you know, when I could remember. I'd spent 
so much time trying to be the person that I thought you all wanted me to be because sometimes I do things that people get upset about and I felt judged and I felt hurt by that and so I made a decision to not be that person anymore, to be who I thought you wanted me to be. And when I say you, I mean the collective you. That at some point, I didn't know who I was anymore. Because I had listened to the lies and the criticism and the hurtful things that people had said or the hurtful situations that I had been in, I had listened to those in my life and I would taken them on and I would assumed that they were correct and that when people had said things to me in my past that they were true and that because I'd had this issue again that it must be about me and I must be a bad person and I don't mean bad as in, you know, you know what I mean, out here... Everything's great, we you know, share a coffee with people at church, all that kind of stuff. But in here, feeling like I don't measure up. And I'm talking for myself, but I know there are a lot of us here that are the same. And we worry about what people are going to think, what people are going to say. How am I going to be judged in this place of God, especially it happens? Not, not exclusively, But here at church, not because other people are doing it so much, but because we feel it. And we feel that in the house of God, we need to be this certain type of person because that's what Christians do. And so we try to be that here. And then when we're not, someone says something, it hits you in the heart. And then all of a sudden, you don't like that person anymore because they're judgmental. And Christians shouldn't be judgmental. Am I right? It's a horrible, vicious circle that we go around in. And the bottom line is, we're not at the middle of that circle. God is at the middle of that circle. God is at the middle of the circle, not us. And what I have learned over time, recently, is that I felt like I had lost who I was. I didn't even know who I was anymore. And I didn't know and don't know who I am and how I should be because I spent so much of my life trying to be something other than who God has made me to be. And it's hurtful. It hurts. Because you have to face the reality that maybe some people are not going to like you. (laughs) Tanya is free from this, obviously, yes. You know, if my kids came to me and said, you know, someone doesn't like me, I would say what I'm sure any parent would say, who cares? If they don't like you, they're not worth having as a friend. And that is the truth. That is the truth. But what we fail to address in that is the unanswered question around why that person doesn't like us. And I'm not saying that we should... This is not about parenting, trust me. The the unanswered question is, why does that person not like us? 
And then we reflect back on ourselves because it is about us. And I don't have the answer as to why that person doesn't like us because it's not important in the grand scheme of things. But when it is, it's consuming. When that thing, you know, for me, it's, you know, getting that approval from people or the fear of them not liking me for for me being who I am. That is a very real fear that I have struggled with. But whether it's that or anything else, fear of coronavirus, fear of family not being saved, doubt around God, whatever those things are in our life, God wants us to just be reassured that he is God, that Jesus has already won the battle. And if we look at that scripture again in Hebrew, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles I said I didn't have any Greek words, and I don't, but I just want to tell you that this word literally means when things are growing up around you. If you can think of being surrounded by a vine that is planted all around you, that grows and just gets over and into everything, that's what this word means. It so easily entangles us like we're stuck in a vine or a creeper plant or whatever they're called. And let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of faith. And perseverance, I think, Ben spoke last week about how we've misconstrued words, gay, what was the other one? <laughs> Awful faith, gay is in happy, you know, how, how when these words came out, they meant something, but now our culture has changed them and they mean something else. I think perseverance is one of those words too. And perseverance, I think we talk about it as in just, just putting up with whatever it is that you're going through in life, just you know, one foot after the other, no matter what it is. And that is perseverance. But perseverance isn't about enduring all of the things that weigh us down. That word perseverance means to be under, to be waiting patiently under something. And the bottom line is, we can choose to sit under the weight of expectation, the weight of the world, which is heavy and cumbersome and burdensome and hard, or we can sit under the cover of Jesus, who shelters us from all of those things. He doesn't stop bad things from happening in life. I said at the beginning, God promised us that we will face trials. We are going to go through hard times. But if we persevere, fix our eyes on Jesus, who was the pioneer and the perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Do you know what that joy set before him was? The joy set before Jesus as before he pinned himself to the cross like Katie mentioned before. The joy set before him was our salvation. 
was our freedom, was our ability to have a relationship with God, to make a way for us to not only have a relationship right now, but to have an eternity with God. Because at the end of the day, eternity is really where it's at. This life is fleeting. It feels long when we're in it. I get that. The 12 months feels like 10 years. But really, the main aim is eternity, right? Eternity in heaven. We are assured of our salvation through the death of Jesus. That was the joy set before him, knowing that he had to endure the cross for us. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him, Jesus, who endured so much opposition from sinners, as we do, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I want to read this to you out of the message. I'll be honest, I'm not a big fan of the message. I don't read it very often. But when I read this in the message, it did something. Do you see what this means? All these pioneers who blazed the way, all these veterans cheering us on. It means we'd better get on with it. Strip down, start running, never quit. Just before I go on, all of us have the same choices in life. 12 months ago, I could have sat and sat and sat and waited and waited and waited and waited some more and complained and got bitter and angry, blamed everyone else around me, made some changes myself, you know, that were not under God's plan. But God knew I had an emptiness inside of me that he wanted to fill. All of us have an emptiness. It may not be as big as mine. It might be bigger. But the size is not important. The fact of the matter is, Jesus wants to fill that hole for us. So it means we better get on with it. We've got to strip down, take away all of the distractions around us, get back to basics, get in contact with Jesus and say, you tell me, you lead this, you show me, you deal with this, I'll give this to you. If you want me to stay here, I will stay. If you want me to learn something, open my eyes. Just like Ashok spoke about this morning, give me an enlightened vision of my situation. Never quit. No extra spiritual fat. No parasitic sin. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. That's important. Not only did Jesus start the race, but he finished it for us, and we're in it. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. Who could put up with anything along the way? Cross, shame, whatever. Knowing what the finish line looked like gave Jesus enough to continue the race for us knowing what was ahead of us and what was ahead of him. And now he's there in the place of honour, right alongside God. And here's the important message for us. When you find yourselves flagging in faith, go over that story again. 
item by item, that long litany of hostility he ploughed through, that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. When you find yourselves doubting and flagging and wondering why, why, just why, or when, or how, when you find yourselves asking those questions, go back to Jesus. Go back to what Jesus did. Go back to the times where he healed the woman who touched the hem of his robe, who broke cultural laws at the risk of reaching out to Jesus. Go back to those times where he was sleeping in a flipping boat that was in the middle of a storm. Have you ever thought about how bizarre that is? Like Jesus says to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. And let me just say to you, Jesus is always saying to us, let's go to the other side with him. Let's go to the other side. They get in a boat. He falls asleep in it. They're going across the lake. The scripture says there was a furious storm, a furious storm. The waves were crashing over the bow of the boat and Jesus is sleeping. I don't know about you, but I struggle sometimes to sleep in my house, which is a solid brick house, not on water, when there is a furious storm outside. If you think about the movement in the boat alone, I don't think it was like a gentle rocking like a baby. I mean, you would have to tie things down in a boat so that they don't go overboard or they don't smash into the side and Jesus is sleeping in the boat in a furious storm. Sleeping. And the disciples are panicking and they decide to wake him up. And I'm sure... They had great intentions of letting Jesus sleep through the storm because he was Jesus and he was, you know, using a lot of his energy healing people and, you know, doing miracles. So they would have wanted to take care of him and let him sleep. So I'm sure they waited. But the minute they called out to him and said, Jesus, he wakes up. And before he says anything to them, he calms the storm with his words. Be still. And then turns to them and gives them a little rebuke about having little faith, which we've talked about a lot, which means brief faith. Because the bottom line is, when Jesus says, let's go over to the other side, his plan is not for you to die in a storm in the middle of a lake. His plan is for you to get to the other side. And at the other side... There might be a demon-possessed maniac who cuts themselves and screams all night long and who is possessed by a legion of demons. That might be what's on the other side. I'm sorry if that burst your bubble a little bit. But the reality is, Jesus said, let's go to the other side, get in the boat. Storm comes, they panic, wake him up. He does a miracle, quiets the storm, says to them, your faith was too brief. I said we're going to the other side. We're going to get to the other side. I feel like for us as a church, we've we got we to stand up. We've got to fight. And that does mean that in the middle of a storm that we call out Jesus. And remember, he only woke up when they called him. Other than that, blissfully asleep. 
They call him, he wakes up, he does a miracle. Then he tells them they should have had longer faith. But I, I feel like for us as a church, for us individually, and maybe just for me, that I have had enough of believing the lies, allowing that negative self-talk, beating myself up, allowing others to heap negativity on me, to make me the centre of their problems. I've had enough. I deserve more. I deserve better than that. And you do too. And that is not to say that anyone is unworthy because at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with anybody else. When I talk about other people heaping their negativity on me, that's me accepting it, you know, and making it my problem and allowing it to be my problem. It's not. I love that person. I see their issue. They see my issue. I've got enough of my own. I'm not taking yours anymore. You know, I feel like as a church, we've got to stand strong for each other. We've got to put aside the negativity and the differences. We've got to accept each other, that we are all different. We love each other for who we are. We are all a part of God's body. We cannot do it alone. And we have to stand in the gap for each other. We should be heaping positivity and love on each other. I hate to say this. Maybe we can edit this out of the podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. If you... If <laughs> Oh, maybe I shouldn't. No. <laughs> ben, ben looks very nervous. I'm just going to say that if you, if you want to speak into someone's life, I think that is a godly thing to do. But timing and, and situation is everything. And all of us need each other to speak into each other's life with love and grace and peace. We don't need to fix each other. That's where God comes into it. And you know, I have been fixed, so to speak, through two things. Through opening myself up and allowing those wounds to be exposed and for other people to speak into them. We owe it to each other to speak out in love at the right time and in the right place with the right tone and the right prayer behind it because we're all broken people, all of us, in one form or another, and words count. So I just feel that we should sing that song again. That last one. And I want to encourage us. This, this song is a powerful song. It was, it was going off before, you know, we even, we even got to this point. But the words in this song are powerful and true. At the end of the day, God is the most important thing in our life. And when we spend our lives trying to fill that emptiness with all of these other things, they all fade away. That's scriptural. We just need to open ourselves up to God and let God fill that gap in our life and stop looking for an answer. And 
I just want to close by saying this. I feel like we were talking about perseverance and we haven't really spoken about that at all. But the whole point of this message is to persevere with God. Not to persevere with things or life, but to persevere with God in our life. To never give up on knowing that God has begun and finished the race on our behalf. Because the world will tell you that that's crazy and it's stupid and you're an idealist or whatever else. But the truth is, if we never give up on God, obviously He doesn't give up on us. And He wants us to be whole and healed and to find peace and to find Him. That is His only goal. He doesn't care what job I do. He cares that I love myself. And He cares that you love yourself too. So we're going to sing this song. I think if you want to, I'm going to encourage you to stand, obviously. And I'll just encourage you. My girls love that song, Fight Song. Who was that bike? Is it Katy Perry or something? This is my fight song. Yeah, Take Back My Life song. I'm not going to sing it, but... I have that song. I've had that song playing in my head for three days. For three days. This is my fight song. Take Back My Life song. And this song that we're about to sing is not that same song. But I encourage you to think about this time in that same way. That this is a fight song. We take back our life. We give it to Jesus because that's what counts. So let's sing. If you want to respond, I encourage you to come down the front. Stand where you are. Stand, well, don't stand on the chair, but... Jump up and down, pray for somebody, give someone a word of encouragement. But just be who you are in Christ because that's what's most important.